can't help it. Okay, so today's the the uh, the uh, today is today the eighth. Today's the eighth. Proverbs ten eight. What is the date today? Oh, okay, so Proverbs ten verse eight is the one I picked. The wise in heart will accept and obey commandments, but the foolish of lips will fall headlong. That's the amplified version. I think the word just described a face plant. Fall headlong. Foolish of lips. One, one translation I have says, chattering fools. Um, this is a pretty fun proverb. Some people have an uncanny ability to make you do things you don't want to do. They can just get you to do stuff that you weren't going to do. And um, today is the second week in a four-week series about those people. Um, and uh, the good news, by the way, is that God loves those people. I'm really grateful <laughs> that he loves me and you. And in his word, he shows us how we should love and how we should care for and how we should minister to those people. Two weeks ago, um, I started this and we talked about overly needy people. And we talked about the difference between relief and restoration. And we talked about three prayers about uh, how to help those people um, to, to for, Lord, give us the ability to know what's right to give them versus what they want. What's the right thing to do for them? And we said, Lord, help us to stay out of your way by not rescuing them from consequences you've placed in their life. That's kind of hard. And then, of course, the third prayer was, Lord, to recognize, Lord, I'm in need too. And so we talked about that. That was a couple weeks ago. If you haven't heard the message, it's free. It's on the, on the website. Next week, we're going to talk about hypocritical people, people who say one thing and do something different. What does the Word of God say we do about ministering to them and dealing with those kinds of issues? In the last week of the series, we'll be talking about critical people, people that have the ability to pick apart everything that's wrong with you, including what's wrong with me and what, the way I'm dressed and what's wrong with this sermon so far. And Anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll figure that out. Today, um, how many of you... Have someone in your life that one time or another would manipulate you, control you. Okay, put up your hand. Keep your hand up. Okay, put up both hands on that. I just wanted to see if I could control you to get you to put your hands up. <laughs> you know, this has been a problem. People will control and people will, will manipulate and it's been a problem since the beginning of time. It's easy to find scriptural examples of this. So we'll just uh, gloss over a few and uh, see some examples of this and work our way. Our, where our text today is going to be Matthew 16, but we're going to come to that a little bit later. So there's lots of examples. Um, Mark 6, you see a story about two women who manipulated Herod. Now Herod decided to, to, to uh, throw himself a big old birthday bash. They're having a big old party. He got to drinking, got a little bit drinking a little bit too much. And he turns to Herodias and he says, hey, to Herodias' daughter and says, hey, could you dance for us? We need some entertainment. So she, she dances and she puts some moves on and he's pretty excited about this dance. And he, she gets all done and he does something really stupid. He says, hey, that was terrific. I'll give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. Wow, that's a pretty good deal. And he makes the promise publicly. Now Herodias' daughter is thinking, okay, wow, I don't want to just, you know, this is like a, 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 a genie giving me a wish. I don't want to waste this. So she talks to her mother, Herodias, and says, what should we get? Now, Herodias has an agenda. She really does not like John the Baptist. And uh, you're getting the condensed story here. John the Baptist had been calling her out on her sin. And he'd been calling her out publicly and confronting that. And so she had an agenda. And she says, well, here's what we want. And they go to Herod and say, what we want 
is John the Baptist's head on a platter. Literally, cut his head off and bring it to us on a plate. Now, Herodias had made this promise publicly. Everybody heard it, and he's kind of cornered now. And he has these two women who have pointed out to him that you promised this, it's public, and they have now cornered him, and he has to keep his word because he made this publicly. And these two women have manipulated him and got him to do something that he would have never probably otherwise done. Manipulation and control. Here's another one. Um, Jacob and Esau. Jacob manipulated his brother. Jacob, um, Esau was the older brother. Esau uh, had, because he was the older brother, he was the firstborn. He had what was called, what's called the birthright. The birthright basically means that when daddy divides up the estate, you don't split it in half. You split it into thirds, and the birthright is a double portion. So he was going to get more stuff, but it's more than that birthright. The birthright was more than just the inheritance of stuff. Um, the birthright also meant that when, when, father, when his father died, he would become the patriarch of the clan. He would become the authority figure. He would become the priest of the family. It also had something else. Um, uh, Jacob and Esau were enjoying and living under promises of God to Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. That meant that whoever had the birthright, it would be down that lineage that would, they would get to invoke those promises from God. Pretty big deal. Now, Jacob's thinking these things, and he's thinking, you know, I don't like the fact that he got this, and uh, I'm going to figure this out. So he tricks his brother into giving up his, his uh, birthright. His brother's out doing stuff, getting tired, and he comes in, and here's Jacob, and Jacob has cooked up this lentil stew. That sounds very food channel, so I'm going to make this more basic. Bean soup, okay? <laughs> he cooked up a bean soup. Esau wanted some soup, and Jacob thinks to himself, aha, gotcha. Now, archaeologists have actually recovered a picture of Jacob, so you can see what he looks like. Go ahead and put that picture up. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, gotcha. That might be snidely whiplash. I might have got my slides mixed up. He says, gotcha. You can have some soup, but you got to give me your birthright. And for whatever reason, Esau despises his birth. He, he makes a big mistake here. He says, all right, give me the soup. And in this case, there was no Dudley do-right. Eyes of blue and heart so true. Remember that? <laughs> Remember that? Okay, way to go. Um, to save the day. Now, in case anybody here is going to hold me to task for having said that was an actual photograph, no, this is from the Bullwinkle TV program, Okay. That was Snidely Whiplash, not Jacob. You, you're all okay with this, right? Okay. Because I don't want this to show up two weeks from now on the critical, on the one on critical about Terry, you put the picture up and you lied. Or two, I'm not going to be there. So, so Jacob tricked his older brother out of his birthright. Manipulation and control. Delilah manipulated Samson. We, went, we had a series recently about Samson and you'll find this one in Judges 16. And this is probably one of the most tragic and dumbfounding examples of manipulation that I can find because I'm just shocked that, you know, when she sprung a trap on him once, he trusted her again, and she sprung it. She, she, she does this over and over again, and he is so arrogant and prideful. I don't know, dumb? I don't know what the deal is. But he falls for it again and again, but it's, it's, it's tragic. But the way that the scripture reads here just tickles me. <laughs> it's kind of funny to me. So here's the story. Here's, he's the strong man of the Old Testament, 
he's defeating the Philistines against, uh, you know, they were the enemies of the children of Israel. And, and so time and time again, over and over again, he has these battles and he wins and he wipes them out. Some pretty amazing things. Well, the, they want to know the secret to his supernatural power. How does he do this? You know, th- there's, there's more going on here. This isn't just Wheaties. What's the deal? So they, so, so, so Delilah is this seductress and she's a double agent. She's going to get in there and her secret agent. She's going to find out the secret. And uh, she tries over and over again and it fails and she didn't give up. And so, so here's what the Bible says. And this kind of, I'm a chuckle. Um, Judges 16, 15 and 16. Then she said to him, Okay, just for the sake of this, I'll do this in my seductress voice. How can you say I love you? (laughs) When you won't confide in me. Okay. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Okay, here we go. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. I just think it's funny. I don't. <laughs> the King James version it says she vexed his soul unto death. I don't know why I think that's funny. I just think it's funny. So I'm having a little bit of fun with this, <laughs> but the but tragically, manipulation like this is a very common problem. We oftentimes in our life allow people to corner us. We let them pull our strings and we let them control us. Sometimes those people doing those things are trying to hurt us. But sometimes they really love us and they have our, our best interest in their heart. They really think they're doing the right thing. And yet we end up surrendering the direction of our lives to someone besides God. So how do manipulators work? There are some different tactics. I'm going to give you three different tactics that are common tactics of manipulators. The first one is flattery. Webster describes flattery as insincere, excessive praise. Flattery is always manipulative. It's always manipulative. Um, you know, you might work with a, with a guy at the office. You know, he's the brown noser. He's always saying to the boss, oh, that was a wonderful presentation. Man, that's such a great idea. Can I have Friday off? You know, you might have that guy you work with or the lady who says, wow, I love your hair. I love you. Have you lost weight? You look so good in that dress. Or she wouldn't say that to the guy. She'd say to the guy, hey. Are you beefing up? Look at those guns, you know. I, <laughs> or, or, or <laughs> using flattery. People do that to get what they want. It's manipulation and control. A second, a second tactic that they use is threats. If you do it, you'll regret it, and I promise you that. Or, I'm going to hang up on you. Or, I'm not coming to your birthday party if you do that. Um, or. I thought I could count on you. I thought we were close. Manipulation and control. The third one that they use is guilt. After all I've done for you, you're going to do this to me? You call yourself a Christian. Oh, holier than, you know, you know or I'll just stay here by myself. You go on without me. <laughs> you know, Maybe you have a family member, a mother or a father, or your kids do it to you. If you loved me, you would fill in the blank. Through flattery and threats and guilt, a lot of people who are otherwise very decent people work their way in. And sometimes knowingly and sometimes 
unknowingly, they start to pull the strings of your life that lead you to do something that you shouldn't do or that you wouldn't do. It's manipulation and control. How do we, uh, what do we do when we realize someone's trying to manipulate and control us? How do we break that power? There are three different prayers that we're going to go through today because it's so important for us to be led by the Spirit of God in relationships. What we don't want to do is try to impose our will upon God just to do what we think is right, but to really ask God for direction and wisdom as we deal with those people. So the first prayer. First prayer is, God help me recognize when someone is trying to manipulate me. Now, many of us have had experiences in our lives, and we've had dealings with a lot of dysfunctional circumstances from time to time. I mean, we've had those exposures. So sometimes we don't even recognize when it's manipulation, and and somebody can just play us, and we follow along, and we start this really unhealthy dance, so to speak. They lead, and we just kind of follow, and we don't even recognize that uh, we're where something is going on and there's something threatening going on or they're making us feel, feel guilty. And they're leading us to do something that's either not in our best interest or it's not, maybe not for God's glory. Jesus, an interesting story, and this is going to lead us to our text today, was opening up to his disciples, unzipping and opening up and saying to them, okay, so now these were very, very vulnerable moments for Jesus because his time was coming close. So he gets his inner circle of friends around the ones he should trust. And he did. And he starts explaining to them, here is why I came. Here is why I'm here. And he starts going down this list and saying, I'm going to give my life. They're going to beat me. It's going to be ugly. But I'm doing this because God sent me for this. I'm doing it on your behalf. I'm doing it because I love you. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the grave. Surely this had to be one of his most vulnerable points where he's saying out loud the the terrible things he's going to walk through but he's sharing it with these guys so that they would understand. Matthew 16, verses 21 and 22. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised to life. Praise God. Now, now I want you to watch here as Peter tries to grab control of the situation. Verse 22, Peter took him aside. Why did Peter take him aside? I think it's because manipulators often lose power when they're not in a crowd. So he takes him aside and he isolates him. He says, and began to rebuke him. That word has always shocked me when I've read this. This guy knows who Jesus is. He's watched him raise people from the dead. He's watched him heal people. He knows he's God. He knows these things. And somehow, Pete feels the liberty to rebuke God. He could have said, um, pleaded with, suggested, cried out to, talked about. It doesn't, it says rebuke. Amazing. Anyway, that's a side trail. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. You know, I think we need to acknowledge, and as we think about this topic, that there are intentional manipulators, you know, for example, an abusive husband who uses threats and isolation to control his wife or a wife who withholds something from her husband in order to get her way or a bully who threatens children at school or um, smaller kids. But so often, and maybe most often, the most common form of manipulation is from someone who actually loves us. 
and they simply want what they believe is best for us. And I, I, I have to believe that's what was going on with Pete. I, I have to believe that he was saying, hey, Jesus, I love you. I don't want you to die. And Peter, in his good intentions, was trying to stand between Jesus and what God wanted for Jesus. Sometimes someone will say to you, no, don't do that with your life. Oh, you can do better than that. And in spite of their good intentions, that person is standing or placing themselves into that area between where you are now and where God wants you to be. They're blocking. They're, they're, they're doing that. So how do you recognize when someone is trying to manipulate and control you? A couple of ways I'll show you. One, you will often feel guilty and find it hard to say no. Some of you have somebody in your life and your desire is to please them and that desire sometimes is either born out of guilt or the belief that you are the only one that can solve their problem. And if you say to that person, I can't or I won't or no, you start feeling guilty because you feel like you're letting them down. You feel ultimately responsible for them. It could be someone else is pulling your strings trying to get you to dance to the wrong tune. Second way to recognize manipulation control is that you will compromise your values to please others. That's a sign. You could be a sweet young girl, you know, out dating a guy, a really nice guy in a lot of respects, most respects, and he's pressuring you, and you don't feel right about what he's asking you to do. And um, you share that, and out comes the, well, if you won't, there's a hundred other girls who will. A heartbreaking truth, and it's manipulative. So you compromise your values to someone who loves himself more than he loves you, and you get manipulated. Or you might have friends who say, come on, let's go to the XYZ, fill-in-the-blank party, and you think back, mm, I did that the last time, and these things happened. All of them hurt. They were not good. I don't think I'm going to go. And you hear these, oh, you goody two-shoes. You're, now you're too good for us, huh? You're holier than thou. And you feel this pressure to sacrifice your values manipulation and your friends you know they don't hate you they love you they just want you to come with them that's all but before long they manipulate you and you compromise your values to please them so our first prayer was god help us know when somebody is manipulating because they could be standing between us and what you want for us and what do you do when somebody backs you into a corner you know the corner is a good thing when it comes to brownies you know my position on that we've talked about that the corner is not good for boxing or dancing. See there, I've got an example for men and for women. Did you like that? Okay. You do not want to be in the corner if you're boxing. You've got to be able to move out of the way. Boxing isn't all offense. There's some wisdom about defense. I know about the rope-a-dope. I get that. Dancing, same thing. You don't want to be in the corner. All of your options are just narrowed down. It's just not a good place to be. Somebody will dance you into the corner and take control because they're leading the dance. And maybe you've been dancing there for a very long time. It's time to teach those people or teach that person a new dance step. A new dance step. And I'm not going to let you back me into the corner here anymore. It's time. You've used, you're used to controlling and I'm used to giving in. 
and we've danced this unhealthy dance for a long time, but you've got to understand that because I love you and because I love the things that the Lord wants to do in me, we're going to dance a new dance, a different dance step. So the second prayer is this. God, empower me. Give me resolve. Give me courage. Give me wisdom. Empower me, Lord, to put healthy boundaries in place. You redefine the dance. Now, this is not, this is not, we're not talking about being rude. We're talking about just putting a new boundary in place and saying, here are the new rules. And you can't place a bigger boundary than <laughs> the one Jesus did with Peter. When Jesus says, no, no, you're not going to die. Okay, so next verse, Matthew 16, verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Do not try that at home, okay? <laughs> I mean, do not say to your grandma, you know, when she says, have another piece of pie. Don't say, get behind me, Satan, to grandma, okay? That's a bad thing. Don't try that at home. <laughs> so here's w- w- what do you do here's what you can do you realize when you realize someone else may be a stumbling block to you leading you to do something that's actually hurting doesn't help you and you step out of the corner you step out of the ca- corner and you redefine you redefine the dance so for example your child is throwing a fit i want a piece of candy i want a piece of candy at a certain point, as a parent, you lovingly say to them, hey, you can keep flip-flopping on the floor like a fish as long as you want, but you're not getting the candy. And in fact, when we get home, you're not only going to not get the candy, you're not going to get candy for a month. And if you want to double down on that, we'll see where that takes us. I mean, <laughs> did I just use a gambling reference in church? <laughs> what does doubling down mean, honey? You, I've heard you say it so many times. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> The point is that you communicate to your child, you know, you can threaten all you want, but this is, things are different and you're no longer going to control me that way. Or to a friend, you know, you can say, you can pout, you can hang up, you can threaten, you can walk away and I'll still love you. I will still love you, but that's not going to work on me anymore. Or to the person who's always threatening something, there's this threat that's always hanging like a cloud, like a dark cloud. And you say, you know, it's time for you just to go ahead and follow through on the threat. Because I just can't listen to that anymore. I just can't go there anymore. I can't keep this going on. That, that threat's not biblical. It's not mutual submission. It's not love. And we've got to get there from here. So if you've got to do the threat, you've got to just do the threat. And um, because I'm not going to let you control me that way anymore. And in a loving way, you redefine and you take that power back. You know, as a, I've been a pastor for between 20 and 25 and 30 years, a long time. And uh, amazingly, this might come as a surprise to you, but, the, but churches are full of opinionated people. <laughs> people who have opinions. I'm one and I'm in a church. I got plenty of opinions about everything I see every time I'm in a church service and everywhere. I, go. I mean, we do. We have these opinions and... And uh, there have been times in my 25, 30 years where people have come to me to try to use their influence in one form or another, whether it's their influence among people or um, their financial influence or, or just whatever it is, they've come and tried to, to use that to leverage a change of direction that they, you know, for whatever reason, 
And um, that can be hard to overcome because especially when you're a pastor, you don't want to, you don't want to make anybody mad and you don't want to hurt anybody and you don't want people to leave your church and, you know, you don't want them to, even, even, even small sections of a church, you don't, you don't want those kinds of problems. Sometimes they wave money in your, I mean, there's, there, there are lots of inducements and it's hard. It can be hard. And I made a decision a long time ago, a long time ago that yes, I serve the flock but my place is to please an audience of one. And that's true for you too. You may serve people around you. By the way, I didn't just tell you that I'm thumbing my nose at people who have opinions. I'm just telling you that, yes, I serve the flock and I'm one of the sheep and I have my opinions. But when it comes down to it, I've got to please Jesus. I've got to please Jesus. And so... You find yourself that you lovingly ref- refuse to allow people to place themselves between you and where Jesus wants you to go. Here's the thing. When you do that, when you say, Lord, help me out here because this is, this is hard, he will give you the wisdom that you need. He will give you the grace and the words that you need to get there without grinding anybody up in the way. I mean, I've had in those kinds of discussions. I've had people um, leave the church that I was participating in because I wouldn't, and I've also had people stay. And I've seen relationships grow. I've seen it go both ways. And I can't control where those relationships go. I can only control my own heart and try to please the one that I'm supposed to try to please. And I believe that that example I've just given you um, is an example for, for Terry, at least, where the Lord says, okay, he's been faithful in this small thing. I'm going to give him a little bit more. And you'll see that play out in your life. When you're faithful in those small things, relationally, the Lord will give you and grant you more. Some of you have a situation right now where you have a person standing between you and what God wants, and it may be that that person really loves you, but they're trying to impose their will on you, not God's will. And they've got good intentions, just like Pete. But you've got to change the dance and say, I have to be under the, the leading and the direction of the Lord and not anybody else. It's a hard thing. Why is that so important? Because, because it's a form of idolatry to allow another person to supplant the Lord's plans for your life. You're allowing someone else to perhaps misdirect you from God's will. That, that, that's a form of idolatry. So God, help me, uh, help me direct, help direct me to put healthy boundaries in place. Third prayer, probably the most important prayer. God, help me to see my own need to control and help me surrender everything to you. You know, because on this discussion, it's really easy to get zeroed in on other people that are trying to control us and manipulate us. But we got to remember that every day, all the time, in one way or another. We are those people. We are. I mean, I can't speak on behalf of you, but I can tell you about me. And I'll tell you about Terry. I have a deep and ungodly desire to control things around me. <laughs> My wife politely laughs. You know, you could say it like this. God loves you, and I've got a great plan for your life. And I want you to do this. I mean, that's how it can come out. God loves you. 
And that's true for my marriage and my family. You know, I want Lisa to do what I want her to do. You can ask her. She does. I do. Just ask her. I want my kids to do what I want them to do. I want my schedule to do what I want to do. I want my finances to do what I want them to do. And the bottom line is that there's two reasons why I want to be in control. Two reasons. One, I'm a little bit afraid of surrendering to anybody or anything else. There's a little bit of fear to do that. And the second reason, and I really hate this. I really hate this reason. I believe that the bottom line on why we don't surrender, the bottom line is we really believe we make a better God than God does. I hate that. I just want to be in control. And if you want to be in control too, it's likely because either you're afraid of letting things go or you think you're a better God than God. And guess what? I don't make a good God. And you don't make a good God because, you know, you lack some of the information that he has and you also lack some of the power that God has. <laughs> and yet we try to control and manipulate and the result is that we relationships get stunted when one person has ungodly control and power instead of mutual loving submission. Now, I want to make an important note that manipulation is different than leading well. There's a place for leadership. And, um, you know, you can probably name some things um, that you can't control, but it, leadership is important. You know, for example, your children, you should lead them well, not manipulate and control them. And it's a major threshold of spiritual maturity, I believe, when you get to the point of saying, you know, there are some things, Lord, and I really can't and I really shouldn't try to be the one that controls some of these things. I can't control them, and so they're yours. They've always been yours. By faith, I'm going to put my trust in you to, to uh, guide them and direct them. That's a real point of, of um, I think, spiritual maturity. It's like me saying, God, I give you this church. It's your church anyway. It's not mine. You can do way better with it than I can. I'll do, I'll, I'll lead, I'll do what you tell me to do. But the weight of where this church goes needs to be resting in heaven. Or God, I give you my family. You've probably heard <laughs> people say nobody prays like a parent prays. I mean, and there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I remember how my prayers changed when my kids reached 16 <laughs> and got their driver's license and I had to hand the keys over and I knew that they were going to head out on the road and they were going to be in a place that I could not control or protect them. They're going to be out there. If you don't remember or if you don't know what that's like, like let me show you a little video to help you know what that's like. Just patiently. So uh, your seat, good? Get the mirrors all adjusted. You can see everything okay? Just stay off the freeways, all right? I don't want you going out on those yet. Just leave your phone in your purse. I don't want you texting. Daddy, okay? Okay. There you go. Be careful. Thanks, Dad. Call me, but not while you're driving. We knew this day was coming. That's why we bought a Subaru. Now... I don't know what happened to my daughter. Somebody swiped her and put her in a grown-up woman's suit. <laughs> but I know my five-year-old daughter is still right back there. 
Honey, are you available? I want to sit down and read Little House on the Prairie again. Okay, if you do that some more. <laughs> no, I just had to position my faith and my trust in her and in God, not in Subaru. Nothing wrong with a Subaru, okay? It's good to have a car that's reliable. You want your kids to... But I just had to say, okay, Lord, cover her, protect her. All three of my kids, the first time that they ever took off, when I handed them the keys and away they went. You know... That is the best description of, of a father's heart toward a daughter in a commercial that I've ever seen. And you just have to hand over the keys and just trust. There, you, don't, you can't control. You know, call up the DOT. Hey, shut down the freeway. My daughter's coming. You can't do it. I just had to position myself. I had to trust God that he would be enough. And maybe it's not your, your church or your family. or Maybe it's your schedule. My schedule is so insanely out of control. God, help. Help. And I don't know what it is in your life, but I can guarantee you that at least for many of us, we are those people. It's us. And maybe you're trying to control someone else. Maybe you've got your thumb down on your kids, and instead of leading them, you're controlling them, and they resent it, and they want out. You have a marriage where there are these passive-aggressive jabs that go back and forth, and there's an environment of fear. And listen to me, you're never going to have the blessings that God intended for your marriage and the things that he wants you both to enjoy. Or maybe it could be your health, and you're saying to God, you've got to heal this, you've got to fix that. Yet God is God, and he's going to do what God does, and he will be glorified by what he chooses. And it may not be the time or the place or the way that you would want to maneuver him into. So you take those things that you want to control, all those things that you get a death grip on, and you say, God, this isn't mine. It's all yours. It has been since the beginning anyway. I love what scripture says about this. Grab this. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You will keep in perfect peace. trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. When you're trying to control, your thoughts are not fixed on God. They're fixed on what I can do, not on what God can do. Verse 4, trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Trust in the Lord when you don't understand, when your marriage isn't where you want it to be, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord when your finances aren't where you want them to be and you'd like to control them rather than following God's ways. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord when you get a report from your doctor that has broken your heart. Trust in the Lord always for he's our eternal rock. If you control it, I can promise you something. It will be less than God's best because you and I just aren't all that good at being God. Let's pray.